Hello, and welcome to the Disconnected Gamers Podcast, where we reconnect with life and gaming. I am one of your hosts, Andrew, also known as J-Bond. With me, as always, except for that one time. Just one time? You're not going to let that go? Never. Well, ooh. you know what? No. With. Just get it over no. with. Mike. <laughs> and a very special guest. Renee from st- is it Stumbling Cat or a Stumbling Cat? It is Stumbling Cat, Stumbling. like Naughty Dog, but Stumbling Cat. <laughs> ah. Um, <clears throat> thank you for joining us. Yes. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. So you <clears throat> are, um, you're a gamer, you're a biotech major, an engineer, and a game developer. And yeah, a cos- and a game and journalist. A- and a- <laughs> And a cosplayer. And a, and a cosplayer, yeah. I, I, have, a, I have many facets. <laughs> you wear a lot of hats. Um, I do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about potions first, since that would be the cool. Well, it's not the cool. It's, is it the, it's the coolest thing, although I'm super like fascinated by the whole biotech thing, and, but we'll get to that. Let's talk about potions first. yeah okay so uh potions of curious tale is the game that i'm currently developing we're actually in the midst of our kickstarter right now um so i've been working on uh doing everything to to make sure that that's successful uh so potions of curious tale is an adventure crafting game where combat's not always the answer you play as a young witch named luna who's recently discovered her ability to brew magical potions and she can use these potions as spells to solve puzzles and battle monsters and overcome obstacles on her quest to become a potions master. However, the interactions with creatures in the game are kind of puzzles with them themselves because while battling monsters, you know, can get the ingredients that you need for your potion, sometimes you have to coax the creatures in other ways, like charming them or tricking them or scaring them. Cool. Um, I saw this at PAX Prime. And I was really fascinated, especially because of the whole fact where you don't have to use combat in every situation. Um, one of the demos that I was watching someone play, they like pushed a, I don't, was it a spider? So they pushed it into the fire to destroy the fire to get through. Oh. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting way of dealing with always mm-hmm. having to be like, just shoot everything um yeah yeah you can uh you can use monsters against each other uh you can use them to get over like environment obstacles and such it's a it's a game where you definitely have to use your your wits and not just like fling spells around uh and since you have to craft every single potion every single spell you use um flinging flinging them around all willy-nilly is actually a really bad idea so you can't infinitely craft potions then well yeah you'd have to get infinite ingredients to do that so if you if you want to spend an infinite time playing the game then yes then yes let's <laughs> let's put a new it's a whole new uh expression of farming um, yeah I, I call it resource limited combat resource limited combat rlc i like it that's yeah. uh that's clever uh so when did you start making this game uh, I started on the game in September of 2014, so I've been working on it for just over a year and a half. That's very impressive. <laughs> I've been I've been dabbling in Unity, and I have not a clue what I'm doing. Uh, actually, this is uh, this is my first game in Unity as well. So I, I've used um, some engines previously, but this is my first time using both C Sharp and Unity. So the beginning was a little slow. Um, I actually worked on the game for six months, uh, building out all the base systems, the combat monster AI, crafting, etc., uh, before bringing other people onto the team, uh, such as my artists and my audio engineer. Mm-hmm. So how many people are there in total working on the game? Ooh, uh, we have four or five core people and then a total of 10 contributors. So it's actually quite a sizable team. That's pretty awesome. Now, how did you, how did you go about uh, finding everybody? Well, so um, I sort of hired people as needed. So Mm -hmm. um, when I, 
found that I was in need of someone in particular, I'd go out searching for them. So the first things I decided I had need for was an animator and an environment artist. Those are the first two people who joined my team. And then I was starting to look for an audio guy. And uh, I literally ran into him at a networking party, um, a a game dev networking party um, Mm -hmm. here in Seattle. So um, I found my team through all different ways, though. Um, Both my artists I found through posting on r slash game dev classifieds the subreddit's actually really helpful for finding people looking uh willing to work on your game and uh you know some people on my team uh david dunn has been my friend since 2011 uh, mm-hmm. and he's been a writer for video games that whole time and uh actually my mom recently joined the team i think back in november or so uh just to to help me out uh with research um because a lot of the characters and creatures and items in the game are actually from fairy tales and folklore from around the world. So she does research uh, looking into these folklores and um, legends and other stories from cultures around the world so we can work at integrating those stories into the game. So the game's actually really rich when it comes to the lore. Now, was that something that you had initially wanted to make sure was a was an important factor in the like process of the story? Or was that something that as you built the game it kind of grew and expanded it definitely uh grew and expanded with the development of the game uh the core game idea when i came up with it was simply i was frustrated with games where you had to like killing every little fluffy bunny gave you a reward and i wanted i wanted to have a game where not fighting things was actually more beneficial sometimes uh and the potion crafting and use system developed around that concept so that was the whole whole uh concept of the game and then as we started developing out the the story and the characters that's when i became really interested in bringing in these creatures of legend and and fairy tales and folklore into the game and i think it's it's done a really good job of of making the game really interesting and re- and deep that is <clears throat> sorry um that's interesting because i like so for i've never really developed a game i just was just kind of more curious in learning how it works so that at times like this when i'm asking people questions about it i don't sound like a complete moron but <laughs> um as far as you know you you said you wanted to make a game because you didn't like the way that games were constantly just requiring you to kill every little thing in the way you said specifically every little fluffy bunny and made me think of in the division you can kill the dogs um and you get experience for it but so what games were you playing at the time when you decided you wanted to make your own game I was I was playing so the one game that that triggered this response from me uh was a game called Pixel Dungeon, which is a roguelike dungeon crawler uh, that you play on your phone. So I was I was using it while traveling around and such, uh, and it's it's a really fun game, um, completely procedurally generated, and you crawl down through a dungeon. And about every fifth level, there's a boss monster. Now, in order to kill the boss monster, you have to become uh, you have to basically get to a certain level. It's impossible to kill with otherwise. Mm-hmm. And in just crawling straight uh, down from one floor to the next, you won't actually get enough experience to level up to the level you need to be to kill, to defeat the monster, the boss monster. And there's also a food system, so you can starve if you walk around too much without running into creatures. And I found it really frustrating to be in this dungeon, you know, supposed to be adventuring down through the depths and ending up having to run around levels waiting for more creatures to spawn while potentially starving um, just to get more experience in order to beat the boss monster. And I was like, this this sucks. Like, yeah, crawling through the dungeons is fun. I like every other part of this game, but I wish that it was more based on skill and it wasn't, you know, grinding like that. Like, I, I I don't like grinding for games. I don't like, you know, go get... 10 stag horns but you have to kill 100 stags to actually get 10 yeah, horns for some unknown yeah. reason right yeah it's not every single one of them has this thing that you need even nope. though it's a thing that would be normally right on it yeah um <laughs> or there's a million different versions of the same creature yeah all just barely reskinned yeah <laughs> right <Yep>. so <laughs> 
Uh, which now brings me to another question. So when you started to make your own game, was there a point where you became like super hypercritical of every single other game you played? Or have you kind of always had that that eye for looking at the way games are made? Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm hypercritical. Other people seem to be much uh, better at critiquing games than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly I can pick out what I like in games. Uh, but finding what I dislike is, is a little harder for me, uh, mostly because I just enjoy games so much for the most part. I, I really um, don't notice those flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that I've become hypercritical of my own game, though. Uh, and it it's actually kind of tough because when you're making a game, you can't get stuck on the small details too much until, well, the game's closer to being finished. That level of polish that you come back through and add needs to be closer to the end of production, not in the middle, or else you're going to waste all your time polishing a game that never gets finished. Right. But yeah, um, so I would find that I'm hypercritical of my own game, uh, and I have I have notes and notes uh, of lists that are are all about bug fixes and or changes or little adjustments changes. that I want. So how yeah. do you how do you manage that? Like how do you do you have someone who's just like, hey, you've been working on that for like 45 minutes. It's time to move <laughs> on. Like what's the what's the workflow process when it comes to that? So my background uh, is in engineering and project management. Uh, so I'm actually pretty good at at um, triaging tasks. And so triaging is when you, you decide the critical level of the task. Like, is it really critical for the game getting shipped or is it really minor or is right. it somewhere in between? Uh, so yeah. I'm pretty good at ignoring the things that are low on that list unless they need to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I've always had an easy time with. Um you know, ever since high school. So since you you brought up the the engineering major, um, engineering what? Specific, like, were you mechanical and electrical, civil engineering? Uh, so I went to a really weird school, a really good school um, called Harpy Mud College. Uh, it is genuinely... Um, generally ranked number one undergrad engineering school in the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh but they don't offer specific engineering degrees. Uh, so you're forced to take tons. It's like getting an engineering degree there is like getting a double major. Mm-hmm. And then you're allowed to specialize your engineering degree with the classes, of like technical electives that you take. So I specialize uh, more on the mechanical structural engineering side with um, project management. So I took all of the uh, project management and cost estimation modeling classes that I could. Uh, and then I... Uh, decided I wanted to be more of an industrial design engineer. So I went into the mechanical side of that um, because we didn't have any industrial design specific classes aside from one CAD class, which uh, we were all required to take anyway. Mm. So why did you want to, what was the um, allure to engineering at that point in time? Like, did you want to make games at that point in time or you were kind of like, I want to do engineering and then. I didn't know that I could make games. (laughs) <laughs> seriously uh i just i i was if someone had so just, said just kind of to me, hey renee you're good at math you can make video games i'd be like what <laughs> really <laughs> um and i would have gotten my degree in computer science and been a game developer much earlier in life than i uh that i, had, that I ended up being <laughs> um yeah no i you know i think this is one of those things where Maybe I was just a few years too early for for people to really realize that game development was a was a path you could take and mm-hmm. to let people know. And I think I did have a, a bit of a disadvantage um, being a female. People just didn't tell me about you know programming or uh, or game development, despite the fact that I was a very avid gamer and uh, did very well in school, especially in the the science fields and math. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it was, it wasn't until my senior year that, uh, I realized that game development was a potential path and senior year of college, of college, of college. Yeah. Yeah, And at that point, turn back at that point. (laughs) Right. Well, at that point I was, oh, I'm going to take CS 60, which is the introduction to programming class that CS majors have to take as one of my electives. So instead of taking art, I took CS 60. Um, 
and then I started teaching myself programming on the side uh, while working in biotech. Uh, I almost went to college to be a biologist, but then I realized that biology doesn't pay well and being a lab assistant is really boring. Um, so instead I was like, oh, well, I'll, I'll get into biomechanical engineering. So like making cool prosthetics and stuff. So that's mm -hmm. why I went more of the, um, the mechanical engineering side. Yeah. And that's why I eventually ended up in biotech uh, where I was working not, you know, not making prosthetics, but I was looking uh, for like on skin sensors and other things. That sounds really cool. Yeah. And really like interesting. Crazy. Um, <laughs> so I mean, so, crazy in a good way. Well, just I, I'm always fascinated by technology and I uh, went to school for one year for engineering and failed miserably. So um, it's tough. It's I, like and it's it my problem was the brutal. math. I'm not the math, uh, not the math <laughs> scholar. Um, what but, uh, what was really interesting about my school is it uh, so you know in 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 high school I was valedictorian uh, did really well in all standardized tests was always the top point one percent and my school everyone's like that and like half of them go to like went to special private schools for technology stuff too so I went from being like the very top person in my class to probably the bottom thirty percent of my class. That was really brutal to um, to deal with, uh, like emotionally, is you're like used to being smart, and then all of a sudden you don't feel smart at all. You feel, like, but you're still dense. really <laughs> smart. Like yeah. bot bottom thirty percent of some of the smartest people in probably the country, and it's like, oh man. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, it's it's easy to to logic that, but when you're in that situation, it's just like the feeling is not there. You're like, oh, I suck. Everyone's better than me at everything, except for writing. I still did well at writing in, in college. Uh, okay. So, senior year, it's too late, and you, how did you like? Who was like? Did somebody just come up to you and were like, "Hey, oh, I see you're playing a video game." did you want to make like when did like where was that epiphany that you realized it was a path that you could take um so i went to school in southern california just east of la okay. and i became extremely passionate about league of legends uh around 2011 passionate enough that i made a nidalee cosplay so here's the cosplays factoring in. And so I've always been um, a huge game fan. And I do, I, I'll do things like make art and do cosplays and write blogs. I, I used to have a blog on Team Liquid that was really popular uh, when I was more involved in the StarCraft community. But I got really into League of Legends. And so I was just like always posting on their forums. I did this cosplay and stuff. And next thing I knew, I was making friends with rioters, like people who worked for Riot, Riot. making League yep. of Legends. And nice. they're like, oh, you should come over to the office because it was only like a 40 minute drive away. And next thing you know, I'm just surrounded by game developers who are not too much older than me and being like, wait, these people exist. I can do what they're doing. Like, and they want me to do that, too. And so like, <laughs> suddenly I just was thrown straight into the world of uh, the, the game development industry. That's that's actually awesome. Um, yeah, right. Well, especially too because like I hear um, getting tours at Riot is actually kind of difficult. It's not uh, it's not super easy, easy to just kind of stroll in. So you kind of locked out. Um, I, I I spent way too much time at that studio, probably. <laughs> to the point, uh, I'm pretty sure people just thought I worked there. <laughs> just kind of always showed up. I would. Uh, yeah. So okay, so then. We're gonna we're gonna play uh, Renee's life story game a little bit more. So you're senior in, senior in college. You uh, meet all the people at Riot, and then all of a sudden you realize you can do game dev. So you finish school, you go into biotech, and now in this same cycle you're starting to learn how to develop games. Yeah, I, I started studying programming on the side, and I was making mini games and playing around with uh, with that. And actually, uh, so I got a job at a biotech company called X2 Biosystems up here in Seattle. And their CEO is one of the coolest, well, their old CEO, he's no longer there, is one of the like, coolest uh, 
most outgoing guys I've, I've ever met. And he's seen me uh, so interested in game development <coughs> and programming when the when I had finished like the last big project that I really needed to do for the mechanical engineering side that I was on, he offered, he's like, how about you come over to the software team and we'll give you a trial run. And my first job was to actually make mini games that helped judge the cognitive health of, of children uh, where normal tests uh, wouldn't do a good job just because of the questions that they ask. So I was invited to make mini games for my biotech company. Uh, and then I went on and made advanced uh, server backends for them and some other things that are all HIPAA compliant and not not as glamorous, certainly, as making games, but, but I but learned a equally lot. equally technically uh, involved. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then while I was doing that, uh, you know, at a certain point, uh, some of the server development became well, very well-known factor for me, uh, so I wasn't feeling as tired during the day. Uh, like, I don't know. I get mentally worn out if I spend all day doing really hard programming. Uh, and so I was I was feeling more refreshed in the evenings. And I saw one of my friends uh, was looking to find people to act as producers for his indie studio. So basically it's, it's management. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. Uh, and so I started working as a producer for this indie dev studio uh, in my spare time. And it was a cloud-based studio. So everything we did was via email mm -hmm. and Google Drive and stuff. So... And it was working out really well. I was really enjoying it. Uh, and then one of their server developers quit, so I ended up working on their servers too. Uh, huh. and, and after after getting a bunch of experience there, seeing how, how indie studios work, how studios work, um, I had been thinking about you know sort of the, the concept for potions for a while, uh, about actually a year prior to starting it. I was debating what... I wanted to do in the game industry and uh, I knew that project management. So being a producer was definitely a path I could take. I knew that being a, an engineer was a path I could take. You know, I obviously had the, the tech background there and then I was considering game design. I was like, I have no clue what game design involves. I know I'll design a game. Uh, and so the first big game idea that I designed was potions and I ended up falling in love with it. So it had been brewing in the back of my head for about a year and I uh, I went to Unite, which is Unity's convention. It was being held in Seattle in 2014. I went to PAX Dev, uh, and then I went to PAX Prime. And at this point, I'm just making tons and tons of game developer friends. And when I finished PAX Prime, I'm like, wait, I can make this game. I can use I can use Unity, and I can be a game developer. And you know, who knows if it'll work out. But if I'm ever going to take this risk, if I'm ever going to try to do this, I better try right now because now is now is a better time than any. Right. So, um, since you already kind of mentioned it before, um, you know, because you're a female in in the gaming industry, and maybe that's why nobody mentioned anything. Has that played a factor in increasing the difficulty in getting to where you are right now? Like in terms of the networking aspect and making friends and making connections and, and getting uh, some form of assistance from other people in the industry? Like, has that been something that you've kind of felt been an issue? Uh, yes and no. So I like to, to think of being a, a female in tech, a female game developer, as like a race in D&D. &D. You get... Uh, plus two to opening new doors, and you get minus two to being taken seriously. So I mean, it's I shouldn't, true. I shouldn't laugh. That's actually horrible. Uh, that's um, that's <laughs> but I I totally like in my head. I'm like I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, so it happens. So yeah, like networking events are a little easier for me because you know I'm there's only ten percent of females in the room, so it makes it easier to to talk to people. Um, but anytime I talk to someone, uh, they're like, oh, so you're an artist? No, I'm not an artist. <laughs> <laughs> or if I'm with a male friend, this happens all the time. I'll be talking with one of my male friends and he'll will meet someone new and I will automatically be assumed to be working for my male friend. I'm like, no, I'm running my own studio. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, and that has happened. 
I see. All I thought time. you were gonna say they just assumed you were just there as like. Oh, that happens too. But I feel like people are careful enough to not say that out loud. That mm. assumption. Um, certainly, I've had I've had instances where people are doing business networking. They come up and network with my male friends and then sort of ignore me. And I'm I'm fairly fairly aggressive about doing introductions so i'll be like hi i'm renee like i run i run the studio stumbling cat and then you watch them like take a step back and be like whoa wait what like like i suddenly just <laughs> peered out of nowhere in front of them right um well because you're like if i i, I know this is like a faux pas a social faux pas you're like 25 yeah 25 26 next month yeah so you're you're younger than me way smarter than me and have accomplished <laughs> significantly more than I will. <laughs> and it's like, damn. Um, like when I was reading some of the, the, uh, the background on the game and just like the process and I was like, Oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like, because uh, yeah, you are incredibly talented. Uh, <laughs> well, and, thank you. and I'm like, and I look at the, like I was watching a bunch of the YouTube videos, which by the way, that was a, like a genius idea to YouTube your progress because it was cool to like I the YouTube thing like just auto played and it was picking random videos. And so it was like one of your videos was like, I just learned how to make like a background. And then it was the next one was like, OK, so now the combat system, when you throw the thing and all this technical stuff that I don't understand was like and I was like, wow, that's really neat to see the like the amount of progress because you actually see it. Plus, you see how you're learning and, you know, you kind of also were teaching people about how it works, too, which was really cool. So props to you for that. Um, but like the like aside from being a learning process of figuring out how to do this at the end of this, you have this game and what I mean, obviously, it's probably too early to say, like, what happens next? But like in the back of your mind, do you already have plans for like what might follow potions uh well with my engineering background i, I prep for many different uh, uh scenarios mm -hmm. uh, so the goal of any game developer any game studio even is to make a game that can fund the development of, of your next, next game yeah uh so whether potions does that or not is you know, I can try to make sure that's the case, but it's partly out of my control. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, if if it makes uh, makes enough to, to make the next game, um, I would happily do that. Uh, I'm actually really tempted by VR. Um, I'm a huge VR enthusiast, but I don't know if, if enough people are actually going to be buying headsets, if the... Um, if community is going to be strong enough to to support more VR games, mm -hmm. I think there's something like now like 150 VR enabled games on Steam, uh, you know, and it's the Vive was released not even two weeks ago. So, if there's enough headsets sold and the community is buying enough games to make to make sense to support another game, um, I'd like to do a VR game. Mm -hmm. uh, if not, there's some other game ideas that have been floating around in my head, but uh, none that have uh, grabbed me as much as potions. Probably because I'm spending all of my time on potions. Uh, and then if potions doesn't work out, you know, I'd still really like to stay in the game industry. And I think the the work that I've done over the last three years um, has solidified my ability to to continue making games uh right. whether it's for myself or for someone else in the future now obviously would you i mean everyone would say they would prefer to make games themselves but as far as if you were gonna make games for someone else do you know kind of like where you'd want to be situated like is our rpgs kind of your primary thing or if you were gonna do that route would you be like who's what's like a big vr studio and and go that way because you're interested in vr yeah, that's that's hard to say. Um, you know, Oculus actually has a really big office up here, and so does Valve. I, I think it's a lot of game developers' dreams to to work at Valve, so I would certainly uh, try my shot there. Mm -hmm. I actually had started the application process with Valve um, when they were looking for industrial design engineers for working on the Vive, but I uh, I decided that I didn't want to go back into that. I wanted to stay more on the 
the programming and management and uh, design side. So is I, there is there application process like ridiculously intense? Um, I didn't get to the interview point. I was just had started the initial emails and mm -hmm. sending resumes and um, previous work that I had done in industrial design. Um, but yes, the Valve interview experience is uh, is really intense. And actually, uh, so I I, I volunteer mentoring students at an organization called Foundry 10. Mm -hmm. And Foundry 10 was actually founded by Gabe Newell's wife oh, okay. and used to be held oh. within uh, Valve's office, but now they have their own facility. So it has given me a lot of insight uh, into to Valve and what Valve's like. Um, and and uh, I also have some friends who work at Valve. So I, I know their application process is really intense because <laughs> to to be hired at Valve, you have to show that you can run a company yourself and be a jack of all trades. Like they expect even their electrical engineers to be able to answer uh, intensive like business development questions. Mm. Multidisciplinary and uh... right. Yep. Nope, not for me. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so you mentioned that you mentor kids. Uh, now thinking, cause I'm going to, I'm going to not quite Quentin Tarantino it because we can't go back in time, but so that now that you, well, cause basically what I'm getting at is when you, you realized as a senior in college, when you were already all the way through your engineering, um, that you could make games, right. And part of that might have been because you were a female and maybe people just didn't take you see, you know, minus two take you seriously. Um, do you see this mentoring as as a way that you can then hopefully encourage more young girls to get into the development, to get into game design? Is that yes. something definitely? Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's it's not just young girls, just young young students in general. Mm -hmm. What I really like about game development is it brings in so many different subjects uh, and so many different skills that anyone can find something that they enjoy doing while making games. Um, and they can also find the worth of what they're learning through game development. So I work with high school students and what they do is they come up with a proposal and present it to Foundry 10 and then they're paired with a mentor. So if anyone comes up with a game proposal and it's approved, uh, they're assigned I, to me. Um, and so I spend a few hours each week, I come in and work with these students mm -hmm. and I teach them all about game development. But what I teach them about more than just straight up, this is how you make a game, this is how you write code, is both the value of their knowledge that they're learning in school and how to solve problems that they haven't seen before, uh, which is something that I feel like schools in the U.S. don't really do. And mm -hmm. I've seen it in the students. They come in, and if they find a problem that they haven't seen before and they don't know how to approach it, they'll just stop. They'll freeze. They'll you know, either come to me for help uh, or they'll just stare at their computer screen not knowing what to do or they'll try to avoid it. But they don't know how to approach problems they haven't seen before. Um, and so I'll teach them, like, okay, first let's figure out what the exact problem is. Let's break it down into its components. Let's figure out how to search for these. Let's figure out what terms are needed. Let's throw it into Google and see what Google comes up with. Okay, yeah. let's go through this information, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's really funny because at the start of the internships, I'm, you know, constantly working my butt off helping these kids, you know, trying to teach them all these things. But by the end of the internship, uh, I only really need to come in and, you know, give them some design advice, uh, help make sure that they're staying on their their time milestone goals mm -hmm. and and that's it because they become so self-sufficient once they learn how to to approach problems themselves that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's well because like i mean it's you know i never i see it's one of those things like i'm fascinated by the the game design industry but i'm fascinated by just how things are made in general so it's like hearing these types of things and hearing like just hearing all the background knowledge of like making <coughs> games it like what gives you a different perspective when you play a game so it's like you're playing this game and you're like man i wonder how long it took for them to make this thing happen rather than just being like "Ooh, cool 3d models like oh that car looks real um so it's like it's nice to to see um how 
you have one like learned how to do it and then it's almost in like a weird way you're paying it forward back but in the same token it's it's what the industry needs right how else will anyone else learn if someone else doesn't kind of give someone an opportunity yeah exactly and and so i i really just i really love of doing that uh it's, it's it's a great break out of my normal work day to just like drive over there and, and help these students learn and see how passionate and excited they are mm. so what is what is the average day at stumbling cat like uh oh gosh you know there <laughs> is there, there no average one. day there is there is <laughs> and you know that's what's amazing about game development is there's constantly something new and different to do um, and, and certainly since I do all of the biz dev marketing, project management, design, and uh, programming, I, I have a lot of tasks that are on my plate. So uh, let's see. Uh, a normal Monday is I will wake up between 7 and 8 a.m. Not intentionally. I wish I could sleep in later. Trust me. Um, and I'll screw around on my phone and read Reddit. Uh, and then I'll finally get to bed, make myself breakfast, and sit down at my computer and go over everything that was completed last week, uh, anything that was supposed to be completed last week that wasn't, and figure out what I, what tasks should get done uh, the current week. And I type up notes on all this. Mm -hmm. And then at 11 a.m., um, my team and I have a weekly Skype call, so we all get on Skype. And I go over this list, make sure that people are... Um, having all of their, you know, complaints and concerns heard, uh, you know, remove any blockers, make sure that everyone can get their work done. And then after the call, uh, I get a cracking on, on whatever work that I need to get done, whether it's being part of a podcast or uh, writing some emails or writing some code, fixing things, setting up new builds, uh, doing, you know, uh, public relations work. That's and uh, so then hard. I guess my day normally ends around 7.30 or 8 p.m. So I, I tend to put in like 11 hours a day. All right, now, is that something that you had to like specific? Wow. Well, I know you mentioned that you're really good at project management. So like at one point where you like, you know, when you started working on the game, you're like, I'm going to work until two in the morning and then be dead the next day and then work till <laughs> two in the morning. And then finally you were like, OK, no, no, no. I have to set time aside to be a human and do human things rather than just code or biz dev or you know all that fun stuff yeah um when i actually first started i would binge work like do a 15 hour day uh, and then completely burn out and not have any desire to even touch work the next day and i'd feel guilty about not wanting to work and then that would make me not want to work even more um so I, I actually set aside uh, a schedule Monday through Friday, um, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. So that's my set schedule. Uh, I, but recently I, I've had problems sleeping in. Um, I woke up at 6.45 today, not out of my own free will. Um, so uh, certainly with the Kickstarter campaign, that's more stressful. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I definitely, definitely try to take weekends, uh, but I've worked, I've probably worked at least five hours a day. Um, for the last 26, 27 days in a row, uh, just, just cause of Kickstarter and preparing for that. Um, so that's, that's not how I normally like to do things. And I'm looking forward to taking a vacation, uh, when this is over, whether or not the Kickstarter is successful. Um, so you, you had, um, I watched your YouTube video that you did like the week or it was like the week or the a few days before the Kickstarter. And you kind of talked about all the different things, you know, how you pick backer rewards and how you manage it. Has it been now that the Kickstarter is live? Was there like the relief of like clicking, or I assume like clicking go on the campaign, and then less of a relief when it's because now you're probably checking it constantly? Or did you? Yes, that's exactly what happened. It was like a relief. I like hit the button. I was like, oh, it's done. Uh, and then when we passed 10,000 uh, on the first day, I was like, yay! <laughs> I think we got to yeah we got pretty high on the first day i think we got to twelve thousand fifteen thousand mm -hmm. somewhere around there uh so that was awesome uh but now i'm in the lull uh where you know you your first 40 hours and your last 40 hours are the strongest ones and so being in the middle there 
you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, is it going to work out? I have no clue. Like, you know, how much work should I put in a day to just like try to, to pump up, um, views and additional backers like, do i need to spend money on actual marketing or is it okay if i just do like reddit posts and tweets or mm-hmm. what so constant stress which is probably why i'm waking up before 7 a.m <laughs> right. now uh, so since you uh mentioned that now have you done literally all the marketing entirely by yourself or have there been some kind of assistance from that like is has reddit like you've mentioned reddit more than a handful of times is reddit like a huge um in terms of social media, like Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, Tumblr, like what's been the most helpful, most beneficial? All right. Well, according to my Kickstarter dashboard, I can see here, um, I've received a majority of my money through uh, people coming through Facebook. So a majority of it are uh, probably friends uh, coming through Facebook. Uh, Reddit is about 1%. Uh, according to this with the backing um, people who have googled me are around 2% Twitter is around 2% as well and then people coming directly through Kickstarter uh, is about 13% Um, and then it has a few people coming through uh, different websites that are smaller Mm -hmm. and Twitch yeah mostly mostly friends at this point uh and well actually so i can't say it's mostly friends um you know the the post that i did about my kickstarter being launched i shared widely among my friends and i think it got something like 56 additional shares so mm-hmm. i'll assume that reached around fifty thousand people uh and some of those people were probably the, the main supporters for through facebook gotcha um i had another question about marketing and i totally like just blanked um mike if you have a question it's gonna take me a second because now like it was a good question and i totally you pretty much covered everything this is gonna bug me i'm gonna remember it like after the skype call too uh, <laughs> well you're welcome to, to send it to me i'll call. answer it just for your own amusement um call ah, back. i got it i got it i got it okay so you mentioned twitch um have you because uh uh other other um, indie game devs do this a lot, and it's really cool to watch the progress as it happens. Have uh, do because I don't know if you do this already. Do you ever do your development like live on Twitch so people can watch you as you're making the game? I do. I actually spent uh, two hours doing that yesterday. Oh, not yesterday, Friday. There we go. Never mind. My question was answered. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and uh, you know those are on the. Um the making potions uh playlist but if you go to my youtube uh i do upload them to youtube as well so Uh, okay so maybe that's maybe i've been watching the twitch ones just on youtube probably Um, not if i sound like really like i know what i'm talking about those are definitely the making potions blogs if i'm staring at code and making (laughs) frowny faces that's the development (laughs) (laughs) oh man um okay so Here's he, this will be my final question, and it's technically two questions because there's two parts to it. Most frustrating thing you've figured out through all of this, any facet of the, of the game's development, and then the so most frustrating, and then the most like simple thing that took the longest amount of time, which I guess could potentially be the most frustrating thing. But so the most frustrating thing that you had to figure out, and then the simplest thing that took forever to figure out. Ooh, okay. Um, when it comes to the game itself, it's definitely both uh, when it comes to freaking code and debugging. Um, because sometimes you'll stare at code, you'll be like, this isn't working and it should work and I have no clue why it's not working. And it'll take forever figuring out stuff as to why it's not. Um, and half the time, well, no, sorry. 95% of the time, it's because I did something stupid. And this happens to all programmers. This isn't unique <laughs> to me. Uh, and so there's this concept of um, the rubber ducky. And uh, this guy uh, wrote about a, a programmer in one of his books, The Pragmatic Programmer, uh, who had a rubber ducky on his desk. And anytime he got stuck on code, he'd start explaining the code to the rubber ducky. 
Uh, and the reason he did this is because as a, as a programmer, all the time you'll get stuck on something and you'll go over to someone for help and you'll start explaining the problem to them and halfway through the explanation you'll be like oh duh and you'll run off they'll be like wait what uh so instead he has a rubber ducky on his desk that he explains things to and actually one of the benefits to streaming is uh your your twitch viewers can be your rubber ducky and you just start explaining it to them whether or not they understand and going through that explanation can help you figure out code and then you feel completely ridiculous for being stuck on it because it was so obvious you just had to see it right. uh, then you know outside of of what i actually do for development i think something that's really frustrating is the general population has absolutely no clue how much effort it takes to make a video game like i think people think you can like drag and drop boxes and you know use two lines of code to uh, to give a AI a behavior and they don't realize like, how many brutal hours of work and coding and art it takes to, to make a game, you know, even one that's really simple. And so I, I feel like, especially um, when it comes to, to criticism of funding for games, it, it can be really rough. And I don't know if you saw the news recently, but um, the venture beat article. Yeah, that. Yep. I was, you know, I was going to ask you about that, but then we were having such a good time. I didn't want to bring because it. it's ridiculous. He's basically <laughs> saying like, uh, he was he saying that you should, like, he not says, you should not see your kids because you should be crunching on the game. I think is what he said. He says, you know, since you have the honor of working on video games, uh, you shouldn't expect to be paid well or to to work sane hours because you're making beautiful art and that should be your payment. And if you wanted to make money, you should just go start your own studio and make a multi-million dollar product because you obviously can since kids are doing it. Wow. <laughs> that's logic. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, okay. So being friends with many game developers, that story is certainly going around uh, on Facebook and everyone is in uh, disagreement with it. So <laughs> Uh, there's uh, if you want to if you're familiar with Rami Ismail from Vlambeer. I know Vlambeer. I don't know uh, that name. He wrote a a line by line um, response to the article, which is pretty good. <laughs> I, I also check that, that out. Afterwards. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's ridiculous, and and people just don't understand. Like, you know, big games are made by. 400 people teams working for five years it gets a lot of man hours to make something right. like skyrim right or even like grand theft auto 5 took years and that right. rockstar has multiple teams yeah you know yeah. It's, not, it's not like call of duty and then of course the the like the thing is like you sit here and you say well call of duty is effectively the same game and they crunch them out every year and it's like well maybe there's something to that where the game is so similar and then you notice all the things that are the same from the previous years like maybe there's a reason why the games come out so fast and maybe yeah. there's a reason why the games that take forever to come out are really awesome and unique right yeah it takes takes a lot of time to make them unique yeah uh so that that's kind of frustrating just uh now did you get uh, any kind of did you get any kind of criticism because you started a kickstarter i feel like it's kickstarters are like double-edged swords where you at some point need to do it because otherwise you go broke and two people criticize you because they say oh you're going to make money why am i going to give you money the uh the two criticisms that i've uh, received on kickstarter thus far are why are you asking for so much money you don't need that much to make a game and why are you asking for so little money you need more more than that to make a game uh, <laughs> i was gonna say i'll say the second it, it doesn't seem like a lot of money i would think that it requires more money to make a game um mm -hmm. You know, so, I mean, we've, we've you don't have to like go into that. If so, how I many mean. different tasks on the team that I do? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to pay myself, so I have to pay my team. I, I well, I don't. I, I guess there's a lot you of would like to where pay they, yourself, but yeah. obviously, yes, right, right. But uh, so you know, my number one financial concern is making sure that my team uh, gets compensation for their work and they aren't starving artists. Uh, but I can crank out brutal 85-hour weeks for free because, uh, you know, right. as the head of the company, my time is the uh, 
the cheapest. <laughs> Not necessarily the least valuable, but certainly the uh, the cheapest for the company. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's a wild ride, is is what it seems like. Seems like. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And you know, it's stressful, and there's some really brutal weeks. But I am happier than I've ever been in my life, and you know, there's nothing I'd rather be doing. I'm kind of living my dream, even if it took me. 21 years to figure out what that dream was right <laughs> well you're ahead of us <laughs> um, but so, yeah i mean and that's the thing right like a lot of people always say oh you because i mean i'm sure in biotech you could probably make way more money than making video games but it's like oh, if yeah. this is what you want to do you know why do something you don't want to do yeah. like when this like because it's one of those things like people always say don't work don't uh what's the expression don't work to live live to work or don't live to work work to i don't remember how which way it goes but um the idea of like just working for a a paycheck isn't really as fulfilling as working for something where the end product you actually you know appreciate and love yeah that's definitely true um but but you know i also think there's a way to to find find things you love about what you're doing, no matter what that is. Mm-hmm. At, at least that's what I found in my previous jobs before even biotech. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that I found something that, that suits me so well. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. All right. So uh, let's make sure people know how to find you so they can uh, wish list potions, a curious tale on steam, which I've heard is very helpful. Um, I've, I've heard from people to wishlist games that they're interested in, uh, yep. potions, a curious tale.com, uh, all one word, no spaces and tail is T A L E.com. And yep. your, I'm going to screw up your Twitter. So I will let you do it. Uh, my Twitter <laughs> is Riku cat R I K U K A T. And then stumbling cat is at stumbling cat yeah stumbling cat is at stumbling cat uh you can find us on facebook as well uh either potions of curious tale or stumbling cat on facebook um yeah we're, we're all over the place and if you're interested in the kickstarter if you just go to potions of curious tale.com it's right there if you want to be really directly linked to the kickstarter just go to potions of curious tale.com slash kickstarter there you go uh again renee thank you so much for being on the podcast uh it was awesome to hear about the game and the process uh and thank you yeah thanks for having me it's been a real pleasure i enjoyed talking with you both yep awesome uh mike let us uh end the show as we always do it is episode 66 of the disconnected gamers podcast and as always we will catch you on the flip